All right, today I'm starting a new series as, as I'm just now coming back, and it's entitled, In the Beginning, God. And if any of you are like me, I've, I've been on vacation for the last several weeks, and when I go on vacation, I vacate. I mean, I, I, I kind of unplug I get away from all my normal routines. It allows me to completely kind of decompress. In fact, most of the, 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 the days that I was out, I didn't even know what day of the week it was. And I, I was talking to somebody. They say, well, when you're on vacation, do you try to sneak over to other churches and get a chance to go and just worship other places? I'm like, no. I still love God when I'm on vacation, but I was honest. I said, I don't really even listen to a lot of worship music when I'm on vacation. And it's because as a pastor, even when I'm listening to worship songs on vacation, I can find myself saying, well, that's a good one. We ought to do that song. Before I know it, I've sent three text messages, two emails, and then put together Zoom calls so we can talk about this worship song. And so I have literally unplugged so I could relax and, and, and recharge and kind of recalibrate. And if you've done anything close to that, whether it was for a week or two weeks or even a few days, what tends to happen in the summertime is that our disciplines kind of get off course a little bit. And when school starts back and now we got to have the kids back in school or got to get back to your normal routines, that's also a good time to kind of get back to the foundational things that really matter. And so I want to I start today by just, just helping you understand this one thought right here. And that thought is this, God is good. Can I get an amen? amen. God is good and everything good in our lives begins with God. Come on, that's a good place to say amen right there. God is good, and everything that is good in our lives, it begins with God. And I want to really establish this because sometimes we end up frustrated, we end up discouraged, we end up depressed, we end up wondering why things aren't working out in our lives. And a lot of times we want to blame it on the devil, and don't get me wrong, the devil will take advantage and manipulate the situation. But really, if we're honest with ourselves, many times the reason why we find ourselves in a funk or find ourselves discouraged is because we're trying to live this life that God blessed us with, but we try to either leave him out or bring him in on the tail end. And the Bible says this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You're very familiar with it. It says, in the beginning, God. I mean, you know, that means before there was a family, before there was a business, before there was a job to go to, before there was a church to serve in, God was there at the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you go and read the rest of chapter 1, it, it lists out, enumerates all the different things that he created. It enumerates the order that he created them in. It concludes down in verse 26 where he says, And God created man in his own image and after his likeness. And then he goes down to verse number 31, and he says this, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So that says to me that God's goal for everything he's a part of is that it ought to end up being very good which means marriage ought not be all right. Marriage shouldn't be something you just kind of tolerate and you kind of make it through and we survive 50 years. If God is in the middle of it, if God is at the forefront of it, then it ought to end up being very good. Shout amen, somebody. Amen. If God is in the middle of it, if he's at the forefront of a business that we're starting, whatever we're doing, it ought to be very good because everything he's involved in, it becomes very good. See, knowing this, we want to make sure that God is at the forefront of everything we do. No matter what we do in life, if we want it to be very good, watch this, God's got to be at the forefront. He can't be the afterthought that comes in to clean it up later on. He's got to be at the forefront of it. That means that in the beginning of a relationship, we need to have God. That means in the beginning of a marriage, we need to have God. And in the middle of the marriage. 
and throughout the marriage. We got to have God. Come on, say amen, somebody. In the beginning of our job search, we got to have God. We can't start our job search off with how much money we want to make and then wonder why we're miserable six months down the line because we got a job that God had nothing to do with. In the beginning of a new business venture, we've got to start it off with God. In the beginning of a decision to move to this house or that house or this city or to that state, before we just pick on the map where we want to go, we've got to start that decision off with, Lord, should I be moving to begin with? Start it off with God. Every pursuit we have, every decision we make, Every day we wake up and our eyes pop open, we've got to start that day, that decision, that endeavor off with God. You ask why? The answer to that is simply this, because Psalm 1830 says, ask for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven, and he is a shield to all those that put their trust in him. See, unfortunately, many times we end up getting this whole thing backwards. Many times we end up deciding what we want to do, and then we come to prayer and talk to God and invite him to come and bless the plan we've already initiated. Or even worse, can, can, can I be honest? Sometimes what happens is we have our plan, we start our plan, our plan is not working, then we want to pray now. Hey, boy, your neighbor and tell them this is a really bad time for you to get quiet. <laughs> come on, you know what I'm talking about. We have our plan. We start our plan. We have a big dream at the beginning of our plan. Then when it starts not working out, now we want to ask God to come in and help us fix the mess we created. When in reality, we have to start from the very beginning with God there. Some people even live their lives that way on a daily basis. Instead of, you know, using the GPS on your car, the GPS on your phone to help you figure out where to go and which route to take, we take off on our own because we know where we're going. Then we hit a traffic jam, we run into some construction and the traffic bogs down, then we pull out our GPS so that the, 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 the man or the woman in our GPS can now reroute us and get us around it. How many know it's better to start from the very beginning? I, I, I use a GPS called Waze. Uh, they, they ought to give me some commission because I'm always mentioning Waze. And I, I use it even when I know where I'm going because Waze will tell you that the popo is right up there around the corner. When Waze has caught me from getting many a ticket. Come on, somebody. What I'm making is, just like it is with your GPS, it's better to start asking God from the beginning of the trip instead of getting halfway through the trip, running into a mess, and now we got to ask God to help navigate us out of it. Thank God. He's merciful. If you're in a mess right now, he will help you out of it. But how many know you don't wanna, we don't want to live that way? We want to get to the place where we live asking God on the front end getting his wisdom on the front end and letting him guide us and direct him on the front end. See, when we put God first, we can avoid unnecessary delays, unnecessary drama, and unnecessary disaster. So I want to teach you today, how do you put God first? And I know it seems like it's a simple thing to do, but how do we put God first? You know, April's grandmother, who went home to be with the Lord some years ago, she made legitimately the best German chocolate cake I have ever had in my life. Don't bring me your cake to test it because it's not going to be as good as hers. <laughs> she made the best German chocolate cake I have ever tasted in my life. And I hadn't found anybody that could make it as good as her grandmother's cake until her aunt came along and her aunt got a hold of her grandmother's recipes. And first couple times she made it, it was, it was pretty good. 
But as she kept, watch this, as she kept going back to the recipe, as she kept tweaking the recipe, as she kept going back, watch this, to, to look back at the recipe to make sure that she was putting the exact amounts in the cake that grandma said to put in the cake. She's now got it to the place where if I close my eyes, I can't tell the difference between grandma's cake and her aunt's cake. Well, guess what? The Bible is God's recipe for life. And if we want to get life right, if we want to stop having heartache and disappointment and, and, and being so down all the time, if we want to finally get to the place where we start enjoying this thing called life, then we have to get to the place where we stop making our own decisions and we get to the place where we legitimately, legitimately slow down enough to put God at the forefront of everything that we do. Because when he's at the forefront, he's going to guide us into green pastures. Come on, somebody. He's going to lead us beside still waters, not chaotic waters. He's going to see to it that even when we have challenges come our way, he's already got an answer for the problem before the problem shows up. So how do we do that? The Bible is a recipe book, so how do we do that? Number one, we must become a student of the Bible. How do I put God first? You got to become a student of the Bible. The Bible is God's recipe, so I need to become a student of it. If I want to make this beautiful cake of life, and have this beautiful result, and I got to go back to the recipe book and become a student of the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this. It says, all scripture is inspired by God, and it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. This is what the Bible does. This is this. It corrects us when we are wrong. How many know we need correction every now and then? That was about 15 of you. Let me ask again. How many know we need some correction every now and then? It's about 38 of you. Let me ask one more time. How many of you know every now and then we need a little correction? I mean, that's why, that's why, you know, when you're deciding on what church to go to, don't pick a church that tells you everything is great all the time. Don't pick a church that's going to tickle your ear because the Bible says in the last days people will flock to places because they'll have itching ears. And what we've done in Christianity, can I just take a moment to tell you this? What we've done is God said he wanted to make us in his image and after his likeness. But instead, what you find happening in Christianity, we're trying to shape God into the image and likeness of what we want God to be. We're trying to create this image of God where he agrees with everything we agree with. He says yes to everything we ask him for. He never, ever tells us we need to make some adjustments in our attitude. The truth of the matter is, the Bible says this, if God, if, if God is never correcting us, then we must not be his kids. In fact, I'm giving the, the tame version. The Bible calls us a bastard. If God never corrects us, it's because we've become a bastard child, and he doesn't lay claim to us. I am grateful for the times when God slaps me right between my eyes. No, 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 don't get me wrong. God will never correct you with cancer. Come on, somebody. He'll never correct you by causing you to have an accident. God corrects us with the word of God. He is the father of spirits. So the father of spirits corrects us with the spirit of his word. The word is spirit in his life. So when God is correcting us, he doesn't need to cause us to be sick to correct us. He just causes his word to penetrate our heart. And bring conviction to the place where we realize, hey, the, 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 the direction I'm going right now is not the right direction. I need to course correct. The Bible, the Bible, so what the word says is that the Bible will teach us when our lives need to be corrected. And it teaches us to do what is right. 
Joshua chapter one, verse eight says it this way. It says, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on this book day and night so you will be sure to obey everything that is written in this book. What happens then, God? Only then will you prosper and succeed in everything you do. Anybody want to succeed in everything you do? Come on, this is a spiritual blank check. God says, if you want to succeed in your marriage, if you want to succeed with raising your kids, if you want to start a business and actually have it go well and succeed, he said, this this is the, the master key right here. Study this book continually, meditate on it, which means let this book renew your mind. Let what God has said here be the thing that that changes how you think so you can obey what he has written here. He said, if you do that, only then you will prosper and you'll succeed in everything you do. I don't know about you. I like winning. I like winning everything. I like winning in, in basketball, football, cards, dominoes. I just like to win. And if you like to win, come on, somebody, then we got to do what the Bible says, which is put this word first in every single thing that we do. You know, Aaron Donald is a NFL defensive tackle, and he's one of of three players in history who has actually won the Defensive Player of the Year Award three times. And when they asked him about his success, one of the things he said was this. He says, you've got to become a student of the game. He said, you've got to learn the game before you can go out there and play the game fast. Same thing is true in life. Same thing is true where the word is concerned. You got to become a student of the word. Before we can go out and start succeeding, come on, somebody, and start having our prayers be effective, come on, somebody, and start seeing generational blessings, we got to slow down and become a student of the game. That means, yes, daily Bible reading is important because it's one of the ways to study the Bible. But guess what? Just reading the Bible alone is not enough. we got to also, watch this, be willing to come to church and serve. I lost half my crowd on that point right there. <laughs> come on, it's not enough just to come in and be a consumer. There's something about taking what God has given you and turning around and serving somebody else that helps you become a student of the game. That's why I'm always encouraging people, give me one year. If you, if you get saved today, give me one year. And don't pick and choose what things you're going to do. Every single thing the church offers, give me one year to do every single thing we offer. And I guarantee you in that one year, your whole life will be changed. I didn't say all your problems will go away, but I guarantee you in one one year, your entire life will be changed. I I had a lady come up to me recently and said, she she heard me make that statement when she first came here. She said, I'm going to do what he said. I'm going to give him one year. So she uh, joined the church, went through the membership class, finished all four of the growth track classes. She got plugged into a small group. She started serving. I think she went to our step five class. She said, everything that was available to me, I did it. She says, and a year later, my entire family looks at my life, and they can barely believe how much I've grown. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. That's good. See, the, the problem is so many times, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but we have an arrogant attitude that says, I'll take a little bit of that. Yeah, I'll scoop out a little bit of that. I don't need that small group stuff. I'm a private person. And what ends up happening is the very thing that we needed most is the thing we end up not doing. And God is trying to take us somewhere, and he's struggling to get us there because the thing that we need to help us get to our next level is the thing that we have not yet participated in. You ought to shout amen like you believe that. Amen. So we got to study the Bible. But watch this. Studying the Bible alone is not enough. We know that. 
because there are university professors who are identified as biblical scholars, but they don't even accept the Bible as the living word of God. So just reading the Bible and studying is not alone. The Bible says this concerning them in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40. It says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. These are the people the Bible talks about, or this famous Greek quote says, it says, it is impossible for a man to learn what he thinks he already knows. Come on, that's good. Isn't that good? It's impossible for a man, a woman, a teenager to learn what we think we already know, which takes us to point number two of how we put God first. We have to learn how to retire our own opinion. Retire your own opinion. We live in a time right now where personal opinions can often become our biggest enemy because people feel so authorized to tell everybody else their opinion. Even, watch this, if their opinion ends up opposing God. That's why I'm a big fan, man. Don't sit on social media and fight with people on social media. I promise you, you're not going to catch me in any social media fights. You, you post something that I don't like, I don't disagree with, I'm just going to pass by, man. That's, that's the beauty of the scroll. I just keep moving. And if you post too many things I don't like, then I got the ability to, 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 to mute you for a little bit. I'll pause you for 30 days, let you get your life together. <laughs> And I'll come back 31 days later and check you out. If you still posting stuff that I vehemently disagree with, at some point I can just unfriend you. I don't have to sit there and go back and forth with you. I just trying to convince you on social media of my opinion being greater than your opinion. It's your post, man. You can put whatever you want to put there. That's your post, your password, your picture. It's not my job trying to correct you on your social media post like it's not your job trying to correct me on mine. Because you say the wrong thing, I got a strong block ministry. <laughs> I ain't telling that boot blocked. <laughs> Point I'm making is we, we just live in such an opinionated time right now. It's okay to have an opinion, but it's not my job to try to convince everybody else of my opinion. And the danger in that is we can get to the place where we think our opinion matters even when it comes to comparing what we think to what God thinks. The truth of the matter is, what God's opinion is about everything is what our opinion should be. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not copy the behavior and the customs of this world. We could stop right there and preach for two weeks. Do not copy the behavior, do not copy the customs of this world, but instead let God transform you into a new person. How God by changing, come on, say it with me, by changing the way you think. Let God transform you into a brand new person. Watch this. By changing the way that you think. So obviously there's an expectation that the day I get saved, I'm not supposed to still think the same way three years later as I did the day I got born again. See, the day I get born again, God changes me on the inside. I become a brand new creation. A species of being that has never existed before. Heaven gives me credit. That day, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. 
but I still got the same thoughts I had before I got saved. I still have the same mindsets. I still have the same values. I still think the same things are important that used to be important before I got saved. And the process of my outside starting to look like my inside happens because I learned how to let God, listen to this, renew my mind. I let God change the way that I think. There's no way to let God change the way that I think if I'm convinced the way that I think is right on everything. Listen to this quote. Putting God first means dropping our opinion and adopting God's opinion. Can you say amen to that? Amen. No, some of y'all are struggling. Can you just say? Amen. Can you say ah? <laughs> you can't get the whole amen out. Say ah. <laughs> Putting God first means I've got to learn how to drop my opinion, and I got to adopt His opinion. That means that there are things that might not bother me, but if it's offensive to God, then I got to change my opinion about it. That means that there are other things that might make me uncomfortable, but if God says it's good, then I need to just change my opinion about it. Now, when God says stuff like, forgive your enemies, I don't like that. I act like I'm the only one. I don't want to forgive my enemies. I want them to fall into a sinkhole. Is it driving? <laughs> Y'all looking so deep and spiritual like I'm the only one. I'm being honest. I, I want them to fall into a sinkhole. But because the Bible says that I'm supposed to love my enemies, I'm supposed to pray for those that have mistreated me, I don't like that, but I change my opinion to fit God's opinion. I adjust myself because I know my flesh is always going to do it the wrong way if I let my flesh do it. So instead of thinking about it and giving my opinion about it, I just adjust my opinion to line up with what God says. God says it's a good thing to love my enemies and pray for them, so I do. I pray that the sinkhole is not there when they get to that spot. <laughs> See, putting God first affects who I call my friend. Putting God first affects, watch this, how I view politics. Putting God first affects how I respond to my boss, how I discipline my children. How I care for my employees. Are you still there? Putting God first, why says it affects what I choose to eat and drink and inhale. Come on, say amen to that one. (laughs) See, it's no longer about how I feel about it. I'm led by how God feels about it. Let me tell you why. Because God is always right. (laughs) Can we just, can you say that aloud? God is always right. right. Come on, say, open up your mouth. I know that's hard for some of you to say. Open your mouth, say, God is always right. right. Come on, say it again. God is always right. And if we understand that, then we recognize that sometimes my feelings may be wrong, but God is always right. Sometimes my perspective might be skewed, but God is always right. Sometimes we can end up even being convinced that we are right, only to find out later on we actually were wrong. We can argue a situation to the ground, only to find out later on I I was wrong. Some of us find out still won't admit we were wrong. April now, a couple years ago, it was a few years ago now, 
We were coming back from somewhere. I can't remember where we were coming from. We were at an airport connecting to come back home to Jacksonville. And we're sitting there waiting on our, our, our plane to board, and I get up and go to the restroom. And this, this is back a few years ago when there was a, a lot of hoopla and argument about, you know, what restroom people can use and if they choose this gender, that gender. And so I go to the restroom, man. I'm, I finish using the restroom, and I'm at the sink washing my hands. And as I'm at the sink washing my hands, minding my own business, this, this lady comes out of the stall. And she walks up to the sink next to me, and she starts washing her hands. She looks over at me with the most disgusting look. She looks at me like I am the, the filth of the earth. And I'm, I try to nod, you know, be nice. I just go back, put, mind my business, go back to washing my hands. And then all these other men start coming into the bathroom and start using the bathroom, washing their hands. She looks around, and she realizes she in the wrong restroom, not me. <laughs> Oh, she was judgy, judgy. <laughs> she was looking at me like, you got the nerve to be in the women's bathroom. Only to find out she just peed in the men's room. <laughs> so there are times when we can become convinced that we're right. Only to find out later we're wrong. And the only way to avoid being wrong is to make sure we're always on the side agreeing with God. Come on, that's good. You ought to shout amen right there. How about this? Isaiah chapter 55 verse 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher or superior to your ways. This is God talking. He says, And my thoughts are higher than or superior to your thoughts. See, everything about God's ways and God's thoughts are higher than or superior to ours, which is why we need to always default to his way. We need to always default to how he wants it done because everything about God means that his ways and his thoughts are superior to ours. Even when it comes, watch this, to the plan that God has for our lives. The Bible says, I know the thoughts and plans I have for you, thoughts to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a expected end. God, hear me out. Look, look up here. Look up here. God's got a better plan for your life than the one you're trying to have yourself. And I just sense in this room right now, there are a bunch of people just trying to run from God's plan. Trying hard to not do it God's way because you think God's trying to mess up your life. One of the things I did over my vacation break is I went back home to Detroit, went to my 35th high school reunion. This is the first one I've ever gone to. Didn't go to the 10th or the 20th or the 25th and 30th. I didn't go to any of those. And in fact, the dates never worked out and I really wasn't all that motivated to try to change whatever I had on the calendar. But this time, I, they gave me the dates, and a bunch of classmates were asking, was I coming? I looked at the dates. I was on vacation, nothing on that date, so I decided to go. I was actually glad I did, man. Reconnected with a bunch of old classmates and had a chance to hear how people were doing and was really amazed to see how good some of my classmates all still looked after 35 years. But the biggest takeaway I got from it is as I, as I was talking to people and getting updates on how their life has been, I realized that many of them have been following me on social media and kept up with what God has been doing in my life. And while sitting there listening to other people describe how my life is impacting theirs, even through social media, it was just a reminder to me that I got a blessed life. <laughs> you know, sometimes when you're believing God for things and something hasn't worked out just like you thought, it can become real easy to focus on the thing that's not right and miss out on just how much good God has done in our lives already, man. 
And I sat there, man, reminiscing and realizing that I had one plan for my life, but God had a different one. Because I thought going back to my 35th class reunion that I'd be a exec for General Motors, engineer, probably vice president by now. But I went back, man, and I'm going back realizing that God has allowed me to build lives for all these years. Got several thousand people every week that get a chance to speak into their lives and got churches across the country and a church in India and two churches in Peru and a hospital we've built. And by the time I started letting other people tell me what they've seen us do, it was a reminder to me that God's plan for my life was way better than the one I had for myself. And see, in order for that to make any sense, so you have to go back and realize that when God called me to ministry, you know, some people are like, I always knew I was called to ministry and I've been ready since I was eight. That wasn't my story. In fact, I vowed I would never be a pastor, which don't ever tell God what you will not do. And I remember the day that I realized God was tugging at my heart to ministry. April had taken me to her church, and for the first time I heard a pastor stand up and just teach the Bible instead of all that yelling and screaming. And they were doing this praise and worship thing, which I didn't know anything about, and everybody lifting up their hands. And after a few months of being there, I started realizing how amazing this was. And I remember the Sunday I was standing there in church, and I had my hands up in the air worshiping God. And we were singing during praise and worship this song that says, I honor you, I honor you, Holy Spirit, I honor you. Whatever you will, that will I do. Holy Spirit, I honor you. And I'm singing that song with all of my heart, my hands are in the air, tears are streaming down my eyes. And God had already been tugging in my heart, but I had been resisting him. But right then in that moment, I knew God was calling me to ministry. And I knew what that meant. That meant that I was gonna have to leave the engineering program in Michigan State I don't have to step away from my job at General Motors, and I was going to have to go to Bible school. And in that moment, I'm crying to God, and I'm saying, yes, Lord, whatever you will, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm accepting the call of God, and service ended, and we walked out. I was like, no, nah, I was just emotional. <laughs> no, that's, that wasn't God. That, was, that song just got to me, man. <laughs> And two days later, I was in my apartment at Michigan State, 5.30 in the morning. I rolled out of bed, my knees hit the floor, and I'm bawling. And it wasn't a joyful cry. I'm grieving because I'm realizing God is changing my plan. He's, he's telling me that he's wanting to use me in ministry. And don't get me wrong, I've been charismatic my entire life. I've been a leader in everything I've ever been a part of. I like to say I've been pastoring my whole life. But now I'm realizing, God, I know I told you I would do whatever you want me to do, but that's not what I want to do. And I'm crying to God. I'm saying yes to him right there on my knees with tears streaming in my eyes. But now I look up 30 years later, because this upcoming week, I'm going back to Detroit tomorrow, because tomorrow's my 30-year anniversary from when I graduated from Bible school. And I'm realizing in these last 30 years, the plan God had for my life was so much better than the one I had for myself. And I look up and I'm married for 30 years to my beautiful wife, and we got a good marriage. Three amazing kids that love God. And God's plan for my life was so much better than the one I had for myself. And I'm saying that because there's some of you out here right now, and you've still been wrestling with God. There's some of you right now that God's been tugging at your heart to go to our step five. Step five is our class that meets every Saturday morning for one year. 
from 9.30 to 11.30 in the morning. And, and it's really, you don't have to be called to ministry. It's really for those that just are ready to grow, go deeper with God, ready to grow more. It's really for those that say, I want more than Sunday morning and at first Wednesday night, I want to go deeper. I want to learn how to study the Bible. I want to learn how to pray. I want to learn the, the dispensation. I want to learn how God works in the lives of men. And you know God's been tugging at your heart, but you've given him every excuse under the book. I don't want to give up my Saturdays when God is trying to take you somewhere that is better than where you can go on your own. But there's a bunch of you that have been around for a minute and God's been tugging at your heart to go to Impact College on Tuesday nights, two-year program. It is designed to get you ready for whatever he's called you to do next. And whether you're called to stand on the stage like I am or you're called to be in the technical arenas or, or maybe you're just called to go back to your job in the marketplace and run a business but run it to the glory of God. And God's been tugging at your heart, and you're giving him every excuse in the book, man. You talk about how much it costs. You talk about your Tuesday nights are busy. You talk about you got too much going on. And I want to simply say to you that his plan for your life is higher than the plan you have for your own life. And I want to also say this. Hear me out. I'm a, I'm a living witness. Nothing in your life will give you peace, and nothing in your life will go like it's supposed to go until you go ahead and say yes to God. I like to tell people this way, God's going to have his way. You can take the easy route, or you can take the hard route. But God's not going to give you peace as long as you're doing something that is not what he's called you to do. And then the last thing I want to leave you with, that got to be a part of your life. You're going to really put him first. You got to pray first. Prayer has got to become a first response, not a last option. James chapter 4, verse 13 says, Look here, those of you that say today or tomorrow we're going to go to a certain town and stay here for a year. We're going to do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is this. If the Lord wants us to, we will live and we'll do this or that. See, Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. One of the things that the Bible says he'll do is that he'll show us things to come which means we don't have to wander around in the dark trying to figure out what God's will is. God is not mysterious. He's not playing hide and seek with his will. This is what we got to understand. Prayer is the master key that helps us unlock the mysteries of God's will. If we don't know what God's will is, we don't just find it out by watching TV. We don't just find it out by just existing. We got to press into prayer. And let the prayer unlock the mysteries of God's will. See, putting God first means seeking his will, not just his permission. So we got to get to this place. I want to know what God wants me to do. Nothing else matters unless I'm doing the will of God. We've got to get better at praying for direction, not just praying for confirmation of the thing we want to do. And so many times we come to God in prayer, we've already decided what we're going to do. I can't tell you how many people have come to us and for premarital counseling. They've already made up their mind. We are a good couple. We are going to get married on this date. And all they really want us to do is take them through the process. Same thing we do with God. We've already made up our mind what we're going to do instead of coming to God and giving him permission to be God. If any of you lacks wisdom, James says, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. See, for the balance of this year, this year of the blessing, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to shed the habit of asking God if I can do so-and-so. 
and become a blank slate, a clean piece of paper, and just ask God, Lord, what should I do? Lord, lead me. Lord, guide me. Because remember, his way is perfect. I want us to use these 21 days of prayer to be like Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus came to the Father and he essentially said, Lord, not my will, your will be done. Let's use these 21 days of prayer and press in and put our life on the altar and ask God, Lord, will you please lead me? Lord, I watch this. Lord, I'm tired of doing it my own way and recovering. Would you make the rest of my days the best of my days? Because I'm giving them to you. Come on, man, help me out. And I'm truly going to surrender it all to you and let you be the one who guides my life. Come on, lift up your hands and worship the Lord with me. Come on, lift up your voice and bless the Lord. Come on, lift up your hands and worship the King. And to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Come on, lift your voice and say you're worthy. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. Come on, for from you are all things. For from you are all things. And to you are all things. You deserve the glory.
Come on, if you really believe that, give God the best praise you got in this place. <laughs> there are some destinies that are changing right here today. Not because God is doing anything different, but because you're gonna finally let him be the lead car. <laughs> let him be the engine that's driving this train now. And watch and see won't God take you somewhere that'll make your wildest dreams come true. I never could have imagined little skinny kid from the east side of Detroit whose mom gave birth to him at 15 and did the best she could to try to figure it out. That I'd be standing up every week teaching thousands of people how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But you have no idea where God will take you if you give him space. Watch this, to be at the lead. Let him guide you. Let him direct you. Let him make a miracle out of your life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Don't leave out just yet, please. Only have a few more minutes and we'll have you out of here. But if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I want to pray for you, man. I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come up here to the front of the church. I'm not going to ask you to tell anybody about any mistakes you made. The truth of the matter is, all of us have made mistakes, but Jesus Christ died to pay the price for our mistakes and our sins. And what the Bible requires of us is not a list of all the stuff that we'll be perfect at or that we'll never do again. But the Bible requires that if you'll confess with your mouth Jesus as your Lord and you'll believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. So right here, right now, in the room and online, what God is asking of you is, are you willing to surrender your life to him? Are you willing to let go of the wheel, get into the passenger seat, let Jesus take the wheel, let him take you somewhere that you can never go on your own? Surrender your heart and your life to him if you are, and God will take you right where you are no matter how many mistakes, no matter what you're into right now. He'll take you right where you are. He'll change you on the inside. And he'll take you by the hand and teach you how to walk in victory on the outside. So with every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer, I'm gonna count to three. When I get to three, if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, man, woman, teenager, whatever you happen to be in the room, if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, I'm gonna ask you to be bold and courageous. And just raise your hand right there where you are when I get to three. I'm gonna ask you to do it quickly. Don't look around because the devil's gonna try to talk you out of it. He's gonna tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't. He's gonna tell you to wait till next week. But I already read, your life is like the morning fog. You don't know if it's going to be around next week without Jesus. So when I get to three, be bold. Raise your hand right there and say, yes, I want Jesus Christ. Yes, I want to surrender my life to him. Whether you're in the room or online, here we go. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise a hand. Thank you. All over the room, hands are going up. Thank you. See those hands. I see those hands. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All over the room, hands are up. Don't be ashamed if you didn't raise your hand yet. Go ahead and slip it up now. I know the enemy's trying to talk you out of it. I'm trying to tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't or why you should wait. You don't need to get yourself together. Raise your hand right there where you are. As messed up as you think you are, come to God just like that. He loves you in that condition. He wants to help you in that condition. Give him space. Go ahead and raise your hand wherever you are. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. If you're online, raise your hand as well, even though I can't see you. Beautiful. All right, every one of you that raised your hand, I want you to whisper this prayer right there at your seat. Say this and mean it, and God's going to meet you right there where you are. Say, dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. He paid the price for my sin, but you raised him from the dead. And I know he's alive right now. So Jesus, come into my heart now. Save me. Forgive me. Make me brand new. I surrender my life to you for the rest of my days. And according to the Bible, I am born again 
Amen. Come on, Impact Church. Put your hands together.